Welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. This episode was originally recorded on February 4th. Welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. Tonight, we're talking about four facets of kindness. This content is by Janelle Apps Ramsey. I don't know if you've heard of her before. She's kind of a big deal. She has many leather-bound books. She, she knows people. This is a reference to Anger Man, by the way. Okay. So every now and then I try to get Janelle back. Um, that's not really a relevant pop culture reference because that movie's it's old, now. fifteen so years old, old I think. <laughs> but everybody knows I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. So Janelle talks. I didn't realize that there were four different kinds here. So we talked about this for two weeks in the Denver Brew Theology community. Tonight, Rob is with us. You can call him Richmond, Rick, Ricky. I don't care. What would you like to be called tonight? I usually go by Rick. But See, I think Rick, I think are. Ricky would be more fun tonight. Just, but I'm going to be kind. There we go. Rocket me back to fifth grade. Yeah, let's <laughs> not. There's probably memories around that that you don't want. Yeah. And this is the first time, at least in my life, I can't speak for the rest of you, that I'm drinking a gluten-free beer from Holland Daily. It's called Favorite Blonde. So, cheers, Janelle, to gluten-free. Cheers. 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 And just before we get going, we have conversational guidelines that keep us on the straight and narrow. Number one, no soapbox is allowed, so nobody gets the last word or viewpoint. See, I always tell people to be passionate. And you're gonna, you hear that? You if you've listened to this podcast before, and you've been <laughs> on it before, people get passionate. But at the end, we're like, yeah, there's no right answer. Number two, respect all others and the viewpoints. That's about that's that's being kind. Yeah. It? Yes. Number three, extinct. Actually, these guidelines are all about being kind. They kind of are. <laughs> extinct courtesy by listening well. As I always tell people at our tables, uh, active listening is different. Sort of like it's like a marriage, premarital counseling one on one. When the counselor says, you know, there's hearing somebody and then there's actively listening yeah. to them. So we try to do that even though it can be very hard, especially as men. There's three men around this table, but uh, usually women are better at this. Janelle can hold her own. (laughs) (laughs) And number four, everything is up for discussion, which means this conversation will look very different in our community and different even within our community at different tables. So we don't speak for the whole Denver crew. This is just a microcosm of what you may or may not experience on any given week in Denver. So if you'd like to do one of these chapters in your community, and you've been hesitant. I don't know what the hesitancy is. Perhaps it's that you have the fear of, oh, I don't have what it takes. Well, maybe you don't. But you know what? With a group of people around you, you do. You do. So there you go. So, brewtheology.org, look up how to partner. Okay, we're gonna do brief intros, and then we'll dive in, and Janelle's probably, hopefully, gonna give us an intro to the topic. Yeah, so I can. How about um, you guys, well, these people around the table know my story. And if you've heard it before, I'm sorry. You can you can double speed. Hopefully, you can you can triple speed this part. Southern Baptist, <laughs> state of Texas, deconstructed the last 20 years, gleaned from the Anabaptist, the Methodist, the Jewish, and the Pentecostal realm. Later, processy and liberation theology. So, I am I am a Jesus guy still, but an open tent Anabaptist Methodist Jewcastle. But I really just like interfaith dialogue, interfaith community at this point in my life, and that's my story. It is. That's it. 
Well, I'm Janelle, and I was born and raised in the Church of the Nazarene, uh, which is related to Methodism, if you've never heard of us. Um, so pretty, in the part of the country I was in, pretty fundy, evangelical, all the way right. Um, and so we moved here seven years ago, and that wasn't the beginning of my deconstruction, but it definitely marked a movement away from my past. And so now I go by the label of progressive Christian, and I do a lot of interfaith work here in Denver and uh, do some climate work. Love Bruceology. All right. I'm Rick. I was born and raised here in Colorado as Missouri Synod Lutheran. Right about confirmation, when we say, yes, I believe in this, that's when I said, meh, not so much. So I've dabbled in a number of things ranging from Mormonism to uh, Taoism and Buddhism, and ultimately have settled on the God of science and reason. Uh, I was kind of labeling myself as an agnostic, but I, I've more so settled on cafeteria spiritualist. I pick and choose what I like from different religions. I don't think any one religion has the answer, so I pick what feels good and feels right to me. Sounds like a Colorado, doesn't it? Yeah, kind of. There's not many like true local natives that we come across, but that's about it right there. Hey, how's it going? I'm Rob. Uh, I was uh, born and raised in the Catholic faith. Um, I don't know really what I am now. We'll call it Catholic because I never really know what to say. It never <laughs> listens. Exactly. Exactly. The guilt runs deep. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, mostly now I, I'm super interested in uh, interfaith dialogue and uh, I'm super interested in the conversation around spirituality. As a matter of fact, this weekend, one of my friends, uh, while we were on a Super Bowl trip in Kansas City, was really was interested in having discussions about like spirituality and his kids and his kids aren't baptized and like, and all the uh, interesting conversations around that. It was super fun. Um, I really enjoy that. Uh, so Rick on the plane, I read a book called the path, what Chinese philosophers can teach us about the good life. And it was super interesting. It's a really fast read and it is, it just scratches the surface of it's by a guy at Harvard named Michael Pewitt and Christine Gross Lowe. The reason I Michael rings so heavy on me for it is because I heard him talk about this book and I didn't meet Christine, so I met Michael. Um, so apparently they wrote it together, not to just give Michael credit for the book, but really fast read. And I think they use it for like a freshman uh, seminar college class at Harvard or something like that. Anyway, it's a really fun read. The path. Yeah, scratching the surface is kind of all you can do in a fast read. Yeah, it's like 150 pages. So it's like it sort of scratching the surface might be too extreme, but it was it was a good uh, it was a good read. Quick question: How many of you can read on a plane, or how many of you just fall asleep? I can do both. Yeah, I mean, whatever the moment calls for, I was interested in reading this book pretty hard. Literally, like, when, when that plane takes off, I'm out without fail. Really? Drives Lauren crazy. That's a talent, really, honestly. If I could so sleep... So you leave her with both kids on the plane? No, they still wake, you know, they wake me up, but then I'm worthless, and so... 
this is a strategy. And so she'll be like, she's like, you're taking this into the bathroom right now. And, okay. I, yeah, I just, I've, I don't know if it's age. Like, I used to read on planes. Now I'm out. Okay. I don't know. I've never had a problem with that. No? Readers? It sounds like I can, I can do both. Some people cannot do either one. Yeah. You're getting old, Ryan. Show, man. <laughs> wait, you wait till the end? <laughs> All right, four facets of kindness, Janelle. Yeah. Can you guide us through this, and then sure can. Hopefully, we can have a. a I think it's what's going to be a productive conversation. Should I we? hope so. Um. So I was asked to uh, put this together actually by a friend, and kind of was given a, a topic. Um. The they were talking about being rooted and so and kindness was the topic for the night and so this is what came out and it kind of surprised me because I didn't actually know what I was going to talk about and then I sat down to kind of brainstorm and and this is what emerged so that was kind of fun um, so kindness is um, you know something that we use that word and we're like, oh, we all know what kindness is. And so I wanted to try to look at it from some specific angles that kind of talk about the interfaith experience that we've had. And um, our friend, Christina, who has been on the podcast before, when she talks about God, she talks about seeing God through different facets of a gem. And that that's kind of the explanation of how other religions see God. That's why we see different things, but we're all connected to the same being. And that's exactly the image I had in mind when I came up with the word facets was we, we can see kindness from different perspectives and kind of dice out different aspects of it. So none of these are mutually exclusive. Um, they are all going to be tied together, but they can also kind of have their own um, push and pull with how you relate to acts of kindness. So the first one I came up with was comfort and solidarity, which means being present with those who need it. And that really comes out of the fact that some of us, especially you Enneagram 2 listeners, are really good at moving into help and fix before you're present. And so this is kind of a call to like, first be present. How can you be in the moment with someone and be kind to them and, and walk with them in whatever they're in. Are, are most men two in the Enneagram? <laughs> no. Just, just from what you do with something, they, want, they don't hear it, they want to fix it. Oh, not that kind of fixing. So Enneagram twos are your helpers. They want to help. That Not so much fix as in technically, but just like how do I... How do I ease the situation? How do I ease what you're going through? And they have a hard time sitting. So like yeah. Shiva, for instance, if someone dies, they can't just sit. Well, they might, but they might be doing that while they're in the kitchen making food. And you're like, just be with me. This is annoying. Please just sit here. And that's, it's, this is all like, I need, that's a good point. Cause I mean, like all of this is, is going to be shaped by, your personality type, the tradition you came from, the kind of family you had. So none of some of you are going to hear some of this and be like, "Whoa, what?" And we had that at our table the first week. Um, but it, but for I think for in other ways though, many of you will resonate with things, and so that's totally okay. Like 
you can listen to this part about sitting and just being and be like, whatever, I need to go wash dishes for them and make sure they're taken care of. That's fine. No judgment at all. The second one is expansiveness. And this is the ability to let others in, to let in new experiences and the ability to set aside judgment in order to take in something new. So where this really has come into play for most of us around the table, I think, is this interfaith journey we've been on together for many years now. I think all of us have been here for two or three years at least. And there's there's a beauty and a kindness that comes in understanding other perspectives. And not only just understanding them, but being to, being able to walk into them and experience them with someone. And... Um, I know that my life, you know, has been changed by the atheists that I share the table with every week. And sometimes they have a perspective I never thought of. And being open to that helps challenges me and helps me to, to widen my perspective. The next one lands a little bit weird for some people, and that's totally okay, but respect through boundaries. So, for example, a couple weeks ago, I was in a situation where I came out of a building downtown and someone was um, really in stress out on the sidewalk, crying and upset. And um, I asked her, you know, do you need help? And she said, no, get away from me. All right. Like, I need to respect that. Now, obviously, if they're bleeding all over the, you know, cement, that's different. Um, that's, let's use common sense. But like, but in this case, like this was a woman alone at night in distress and she told me to go away. And so as much as I might want to go and fix that, it's, I've been told not to. And so I think that we, we have to do that. So the example I give in here that's meaningful to me and may not mean much to anyone else is, is head coverings. So I'm, you all know where I, where I stand in terms of feminist issues. But to do interfaith work, one of my responsibilities as a woman is to carry a scarf with me at all times when I'm in an interfaith setting. And there may be times when it's required of me to cover my hair, um, to go into a space, to be with my brothers and sisters. Now, do I agree with that fundamentally? Not really. But if I want to enter space with them and share experience with them, I need to do that. And I can either choose to cover or I can choose to not experience. Um, But that's my choice. And so respecting boundaries is a big part of this experience. Um, And that can be really challenging. And that's totally okay. Um, And then finally, intentional action. Um, And this is kind of, for me, a little related to the the being-ness of comfort and solidarity. But be intentional and discerning about what you can do in a situation. And that discerning piece, at least for me, where it comes out of is that uh, for much of my journey in ministry, I mean, discerning is a great spiritual gift, but it's your job to serve everybody in the church. And um, the truth is that I don't think that we can do that in a healthy way all the time. We have to be discerning about what we have space for, what our health is up for, what we have time for, because when we stop being discerning and thoughtful about that, then we're not serving anyone well. And so um, being thoughtful to think about what, why am I doing this? What are my motives? Where is this coming from? Is it coming from a broken place, a wound, or a place of health? And how can I do that the best way possible? So those are the kind of the four facets that we're looking at. And so we're going to talk about each of those um, 
And, and yes, just to reiterate, like they're not actually separate. I get that. But as the, but the purpose of this curriculum is to kind of wrestle with those edges and those ways of viewing kindness to see what might be challenging or really helpful for us. So just before we move on, anything you guys think, well, we should probably clarify this or need to parse something out a bit more with any of these. That was a great explanation. And I know that was the close enough version. So, but thinking about those who didn't get to participate the last two weeks, uh, don't have the notes in front of them. Anything you guys are like, man, is there more on one or two of these that we should, before we dive in? I thought it was really well covered. And I think that's part of the conversation, right? We're going to go into the nuance because some of these, I, I was just saying before we even started recording that I was digging into some of them more again than I did from our two hour conversation from before and for like, for, and, and was getting further clarification, further understanding. So, and I really appreciated what you said at the end, which um, related to the fact that these aren't, you know, these aren't four distinct things that you do when you're being kind with someone. I am now doing intentional action. Well, I, I have a question about that one, maybe just to help clarify, mm -hmm. just for myself. There's a little bit of that fake it till you make it with quite a bit. And you, like, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. I, I know this is the right smile. I, I, this person's driving me crazy right now, but I need to be take a deep breath and just figure out where they're at in here and give them eye contact and all that. Yeah. It's, it says here, offering a real smile with intention, make eye contact, encouraging someone. Well, is it okay if it's if it's a little fake? Is it? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I just a little clarification uh, there. You're you're speaking to me for sure, but um, I think that depends on what you have to give. Um, I think that for men, for now, remember the big diff One of the big differences between Ryan and I is he's super extrovert, and I'm like on the other end of the scale. So. For you, I would almost so you say yes because you have energy for that and it doesn't really wear you out. For me, there are there are days where I have to be thoughtful about that. I feel as if you and we know this. We talked about this. Right. Would get stuck in those situations where it, whereas I would be able to bounce. And totally. Talk, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you would be in this thing for like thirty minutes or an hour. Yeah. And you're probably like, help me get out of this. Does that make yeah, sense? Does that that's make sense? fair. But you're still doing it. Right. Whereas I'm like, get me the hell out of here. Oh, I can do that. I'm, I'm going to bounce to the next person. If I can interject here. Um, Those two are listening are like, Brian's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, I poured out my heart to him. That's why he left. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What that says to me is practice. Every single one of these items that we just went through will take some level of practice. And yeah, the first couple times, if you suck at intentional action, the first couple times, the first 20 times, 100 times that you attempt that smile, it's going to be fake. Yeah. But you have to actually intentionally practice, get yourself into that idea, that mode, if you will. And it, and it usually gets easier. Like, and Absolutely. like, so this, where this part of where this comes out of is I went through a training called focus in Kansas city. And one of the exercises we had to do on our last weekend together was go to a public place and find a stranger and sit down and talk to them. And 
every you had to come back and report. And so we happened to have a doctor with us, a doctor in training. And so we went to the hospital and went to the cafeteria and found people to sit down and talk to. And that's really easy for some people and really hard for other people. Um, but the point is to make that connection. And so the other thing we learned during that time really was the importance of eye contact. Like this is not, it's, it's not, it is what we do in America. I get that it's cultural, but like it's important to let people be seen um, much more than it is for me to see them, but it's important for them to know they're seen. So when you make intentional action by making eye contact and smiling at someone, you are saying something about their their space in this world and who they are and what they are. And that doesn't at all degrade someone that smiles all the time and does it automatically. Um, but it is something that I had to work on because I definitely have resting bitch face. I mean, most women do, right? And so like... You should say no. Well, I was going to say, I feel like that's that's a broad brush, right? Well, and it is. And, 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 I think and a lot of men have resting dick face, but yes, they don't they do. get... They don't get uh, it, it does, it's the not, same way. it's not, it's not a thing in society. But so, I mean that, so I think there's challenges for, for everyone, whatever the thing is, whether it's making eye contact, that may be really hard, whether it's smiling, um, but helping other people to know that you care that they're there. And there are days when that's easy and there's days when that's harder, but I, I can't, it's really hard to describe over the, you know, just with voice, like you can see people's days change in front of you when you see them. It makes such a difference, but that's an intentional action in the busyness that we live in. It's much easier to look at my phone. It's much easier to rush out to my car than it is to pause, look them in the eye, say thank you, and then put the bags in the cart and move on. And and I think it's a paradigm shift too. To Rick's point about like you might do it a hundred times. First of all, you have to care enough to like to to think that intentional action is worth the worth your time and energy. Secondly, it's kind of a paradigm shift where you're doing the fake smile thing, but if you shift the paradigm of yourself, and I'm this is like me preaching what I feel like I should practice and don't all the time. But if the paradigm is how do I see this person? One of the things I love about the intentional action is it feels very in the moment to me. And we talked about this in our conversation. Like I think about intentional action at work because I'm like, I couldn't give two shits about what initiative this person's talking about and cares about. And I might think it's dumb, but like, what can I do in this moment that sees them and you know, and, and I can still live with myself and not feel like I'm being totally fake. Um, but like respect, like they're doing this because that's all they know what to, that's, that's the only thing they know what to do right now in this moment. And, um, so I love that aspect of intentional action is that it's, it's very in the moment and, and it is that whole, what can you give right now thing? So if all you can give right now is the fake smile and try and figure out how you're going to move on. If you show a little kindness with a, you're attempting a smile and you're attempting to break the conversation without being, without saying, this is crazy. What you're saying feels nuts to me. That's probably still a better result than you saying, I got to get the hell out of here because whatever you're saying is I'm not okay with, or 
man, you need to talk to somebody else, not me. I'm not the right person to help and listen in this situation. Um, all you could do in that moment is the smile. Uh, or maybe you do it a hundred times and it feels fake a hundred times. And on the hundred and first time, the paradigm shifted a little bit where you can have the genuine smile. Cause you can see, I want to give this person a smile in this moment. Maybe that will help something, but then I got to go or whatever the case, you know, I don't know. I feel a bit guilty. There's a certain somebody in the neighborhood not to be mentioned. Probably doesn't listen to the podcast, but if I see them from a distance and I know that their trajectory is headed in a way which we could meet and make eye contact, I'll, I'll hurry, you know, like I'll, Car quick. I mean, I think we all have those people. Sure. This, yeah. Sure. I don't know. But I, oh my know, god! What are you human? That's bizarre. Part of me feels a little dickish that I do that. But Lauren, she's way better than me. She'll 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 recognize it and she'll stay out there and she'll do the chit chat. As Seinfeld says, the stop and chat. Yeah. Grocery store but you can talk. Tell it means a lot to this person. Whereas mm-hmm. I know, like. Yeah, this conversation is going to go. It's going to be weird and awkward. Too many of those, so I'm out of here. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> going back to these four facets. So we've, we've spent a little bit of time on intentional action. So we have, to reiterate, comfort and solidarity, expansiveness, respect through boundaries, and then intentional action. So out of these four, uh, which one resonates most with you? Why? And then we'll get to which one is most difficult. Okay, I'll jump in here. Um, it's, I mean, expansiveness is the one that jumps out to me and and, uh, and that I connect to or connect with the most, which um, essentially the comments that Janelle put about expansiveness in here is uh, it's the ability to let others in, to let in new experiences, and includes the ability to set aside judgment in order to take in something new, which is always a worthwhile activity for me. Additionally, through conversation about expansiveness with, with Brew Theology, I realized too that that's where I was allowed to explore new ideas and new concepts to really begin to understand some of the biases I've had or some of the really screwed up thoughts or um, beliefs that I was espousing. So there's that history with expansiveness, but also the idea of non-judgment and expansiveness to me is uh, openness to things that are new, openness to new evidence, openness to new ideas, openness to new people. I think that the only I think that I would learn from that experience, that expansive experience, no matter what, if I can drop the judgment and allow for, allow for new thoughts, ideas, experiences. I think what changed the game for me was dropping judgment and that felt very expansive to me. And so expansiveness is one that I connect to closely. Yeah. I would just continue on that one is as challenging as it is. And I think it's not just challenging for everyone. Like, this is really hard for, for me as well. Because I think there's a part of me that thinks like, oh, I'm really flexible. And people are like, oh, Ryan, you're, you're the casual guy who can go with the flow. Not true. I, I'm, I'm actually very, in my mind, very controlled how I think the day should look. Everything from like, um, man, every single aspect of the day. If it's planned out. And the things like, there's a wrench, 
it's like, oh, there's change. I don't know. So even a change of ideas, if somebody comes with a new idea, maybe a few months later, I'm like, yes, I love it. But in the moment, it is really hard. So I mean, I'll be honest. Like when we had we had um, a shaman come and talk about shamanism, and I'm like, and I I did that specifically because I I knew that I needed to hear it. It was really hard for me. And I don't know if it's hard for the rest of you, but at the end of the day, I'm like, I have a different understanding of that worldview, of that uh, ideology or whatever you want to call it. It, it is a it is a different worldview. It's, it it really is. <laughs> sure. So, um, and you know, it doesn't mean you have to accept it and make it your own but like you know you had said you, know, you go yeah. to a place where women are covering their heads and i know we stand on this one as a as a outspoken feminist and i respect you for that but for you then to respect them on their terms like that's a beautiful thing but it is so hard and so it resonates with me too rob but i it takes it takes a lot to get me there yeah but once i'm there like i'm i'm glad i did that and how often do you do that in life I am so glad I had that conversation. I'm so glad I had that coffee. I'm so glad I invited that person into my home and heard their perspective. So the amount of topics that we've had over five years of doing this, we're pretty expansive. (laughs) And I don't want to like pat ourselves on the back, but like in a way, like it's, it's pretty legit because most humans, the expansiveness thing we think in our mind, like, Oh yeah. Again, like kind of like Ryan's a cool laid back cash, but no, 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 we're not. And I'm not, you really have to work at this one. Like, Ricky would said it earlier. Just like intentional action, you've got to work at expansiveness. So, especially in our current climate. Yes. Like, because probably our brutheology group in Denver is, you know, middle to left. There aren't a lot of 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 people on the far right that come, and but we have to expand that way too. We have to find a way to interact with that, and we're not probably going to agree. But we don't have to agree. We have to sit at the table. I have screwed that up at Brew Theology before. <laughs> One week that I can that comes to mind in particular. So, but it happens. It's hard. I remember recently, and I think that the four of us were actually at the same table, which is pretty rare. Yeah. I mean, how, the odds of that happening are like you know maybe once a year, maybe. Everybody was like pretty regular rolling around the table. It was a remix week. So if those are no remix is a week where we take the topic and we do it again. So it's a smaller crew at our table. We were doing the intros. And I think that the opening question was, I think it was a political question, maybe. And everybody was kind of running with it or here. We we're doing suicide that week, I believe, yeah. which is a pretty dark, heavy topic. But <laughs> you had like all these, like, I remember Brian was in the group too. He's like, yeah, I'm not really religious anymore. Like, it was all these people who were like, I'm just not religious anymore. And then it came to this new person. I think we all forgot there's one new person at the table and she was like, well, I mean, I, the rest of you had God lost God. I, I was the other way around. And it was like one of those moments of, Oh my goodness. So we didn't even start and cultivate a table. that was expansive, but not we did it intentionally. It was just like everybody's story was, I don't believe in God anymore or I, or I I lost religion or I lost some part of my faith. Yeah. And this person, Found faith. Found faith. And I don't know if, that's where, if they were evangelical or if they were Catholic or whatever, but it was definitely like, you could tell when she opened her mouth, like, do I belong here? And that was, that was a moment for all of us afterwards, like, shit, we, we probably should have not just assumed things, because we, we start playing off each other, too, during the intros. Remix weeks, by the way, uh, we, we get pretty casual on those weeks. Yeah. 
be expansive in your introductions. Well, part part of my part of my attractive uh, part of the reason I'm attracted to expansiveness also is because probably that's one that I think I should do better, right? And so I mean, I'd love to think I'm Mr. Expansive, but I don't think that that's necessarily the the case um either. So I think that may be part of the reason I'm attracted to expansiveness too. So I'll, I'll be a little bit contrary here. Everyone's talking about expansiveness and it sounds like, you know, for some it's easy, for some it might actually be the hard thing, but for me the one that resonates most with me tends to be respect through boundaries. And Janelle, you probably have some experience with this, but I grew up with boundaries and these boundaries were so well-defined that literally anyone outside of our religion was not to be trifled with, was not to be interacted with, except on a certain level. And that level whether you're respecting your own boundaries or respecting theirs was very, very defined. So for me, that one is incredibly practiced. If someone is on the street crying or what have you, uh, that's actually, that's actually very difficult for me to walk up to them because there are boundaries there. And that's, that's been drilled into me. A lot. Well, and part of this for me is changing what those boundaries are. So instead of having boundaries with other people, it's having boundaries with the system that created that and saying, no, I, I am going to assert the parts of me that God has created and used and developed. And that's probably not going to match what you think anymore, but the system is oppressive and the system needs to be corrected. And so that's part of what I'm going to do and standing up and saying that, no, this system is abusive and you are violating people's boundaries all the time by this, this ideology that you're spreading and it's got to stop. And so I think it, it goes both ways. They're twofold. We set boundaries to protect ourselves and we honor the boundaries others have set. There are two sides to every boundary and we need to do our best to understand them both. And that is really, really hard, especially that judgmentalness that you both have mentioned that, that has kind of been bred into us to be scared of the other. Got to look that down. Got to look it down the throat and say, judgment is not where I want to live. I want to live in a space where I'm a whole person and where you're a whole person. And then we got to find a way to, and find friendship or, relationship or kindness and so that doesn't sound like boundaries but I think it is I totally think it is I I struggle with this one because I can't say it more eloquently than you just said it but I struggle with respect boundaries not because I want to uh not because I want to fix people with kindness necessarily but with sort of um with the releasing judgment thing or the removing judgment thing, that's where I struggle with boundaries because I'd like to, to say, you know, I, I'd like to say, 
there's a lot of shit that's really wrong with this ideology and this worldview or this way of thinking. And I just don't find that to be useful. I think some people would say, well, if you don't, if you don't, uh, bring that sort of, if you don't bring that offense, Rob, if you don't, if you're not speaking against speaking truth to power, then you're just a bystander. You're just letting shit happen. You're just, you're, you just are passively allowing abuse to continue. And the other perspective on that is, well, if I can lower my judgment, be with the other in community, like, like you said, yeah. whole person, your whole person and find the third way that feels more useful to me than shouting at somebody that they're wrong. Or you find a space even in that, even meeting halfway, but being able to say what needs to be said in a different way. You know, so when you're in the dentist chair and he's saying something ridiculous, you know, it's, you can't like call that out. Yeah. In that moment, but Mr. Thirsty, <laughs> but you can after, after you're done and having a minute to think about it. Cause that's helpful in this sometimes, um, being able to say, you know, have you watched 13th on Netflix? I really think you should. I think you'd learn a lot from it and being kind about it. And I think it's, it's really important for you to like have a broader picture of what you think you know about, um, and being able to do that. Uh, that sounds like kind of a huge gray area between respect for boundaries and expansiveness Yeah, that maybe people should think about living in. <laughs> well, as Fergie should says, be complicated. meet me halfway right on the borderline. That's where we want to be. So. Oh, I quoted a pop song. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so what if, um, so yeah, I'm just kind of curious, like to get specific with boundaries since we're on that one. Oh, how are they helpful for you specifically, both um, from from others to put those upon you mm-hmm. and you realizing that, and then you doing that with others? I mean, because it's you can always say, "Hey, I have a boundary." Maybe you have to. Or sometimes, sometimes you, you do. Sometimes you do. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're right. But for the most part, if you're trying to be expansive and kind. You're not going to specifically say it unless you have the relationship to say it. Well, there's there's ways to communicate boundaries too in your own in your own vernacular, if you will. Uh, and also, I I have to say, like my boundaries, I don't think have ever been violated to the point where I felt unsafe. So I can feel people getting closer, and typically there's a way for me to deflect people in a way that expresses to them there's a boundary and one of them might be somebody trying to convince me I'm wrong about my liberal worldviews and I mean it's just an easy example it's low-hanging fruit and say do you really think that I you know want people to lose their jobs you know and a lot of times that'll indicate somebody like oh I'm getting close to a boundary um, so there's ways to indicate boundaries too without without saying we are reaching a boundary for me and I'm not comfortable. And I'm not, I'm not also downplaying that. I'm just saying it's not natural for me. And so I'll figure out a different way to communicate the boundary. I totally jumped in when you were going to jump in, Rick. No, no. I'm kind of glad that you said that because I think it illustrates a point. 
you're talking about communicating a boundary, but I think step one is actually knowing where your boundary is. Because a lot of people do not know where their boundaries are. And they've never thought about, okay, something is encroaching. And maybe I don't feel right, but they, you don't think about why you don't feel right. And so taking a moment, and by a moment, I mean probably a couple of years of introspection, to figure out where exactly your boundaries are, then you know when someone is trampling on them. And you can probably deal with that a little easier. You can deal, you can figure out how to approach, okay, someone's coming close to this. How do I deal with this? How do I play with it? Now, it sounds like, Rob, you've got a, you know, some solid idea of where you actually stand. And I think you're probably miles ahead of a lot of people. So that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, none of this is easy. It's easy to talk about, but I mean, there are absolutely times where if it's a boundary that's not worth dying on, I might just be quiet. Um, now, if I see somebody being hurt or oppressed or in an iffy situation, I never thought I would be the person that would say something, but I will. In terms of stuff like bias and assumptions, like I think there are ways that we can approach those topics if we're thoughtful about it and kind of, and this this means like having some preloaded responses and training yourself that like if this happens, then this is the thing that, that you've got to figure out a way to address. And that can be super, it's super, like, so none of this takes the awkwardness out. It doesn't matter how smooth you are. If, if anything, it makes it more it awkward. It makes it worse. <laughs> but like, you know, if if someone hears someone say, oh, well, they're just the diversity hire. Um, well, it's your job, awkward or not, to say, hey, guys, what are you talking about? You know, that's really inappropriate. And that's not how we talk about people here. And it super sucks. Like in the moment, it's so uncomfortable and all the like lungs and heart don't feel good. (laughs) But like you, if we're going to be kind people that care and have compassion about other people, we have to do those things. And so like one of the things that happens in response to leaving conservative church traditions is even though usually they have their fingers in their ears singing la la la, it is the job of people that leave to continue to call out some of those things that are so damaging. Um, so when you have no like no practices around child safety, when you are feeding people messages about equality, whether that's racial equality or gender equality, but they're not living it out in the way they act, you got to call it out. That's, that is actually the kind thing to do for the people that are being oppressed. Are we going to get it right all the time? Nope. Am I still a privileged white woman? Yep. So there will be people that don't want to hear my voice. And that's fine. To stand up for those who can't stand or aren't able to yet or, you know, it's, it's really hard. Like, where is that boundary? But especially in terms of systems, when you are awake and you do know what's wrong, you've got to say so. Sometimes that's a lot harder to do personally even than it is with systems in, in my, with my personality and my experience. Some people are really good at that in their families and not in systems, and that's fine too. Respecting boundaries also kind of brings up the opposite side of that. 
Uh, and sometimes, you know, someone might have more to say on this, but sometimes being kind is actually calling out, being kind to the person you're calling out. Right. But there's also boundaries on that side, understanding where they're coming from, yep. why they're doing this. And sometimes there's a way of calling out that's actually going to make it worse. Sometimes there's a way of calling out that's going to make it, make the person think and say, oh, hey. Hmm. And kind of like Ryan said at the beginning, they may be super pissed off at you for the first six months, but with the seed planted the right way. So I don't know that, that boundary there, there's always a boundary on both sides. That's totally hard. I, that's, that's so well said because I mean, I think that's also where I, that's also why I brought up the, you know, you figure out how to speak boundaries with your own vernacular or whatever. Like I could imagine myself in a work setting. If I'm involved in a conversation where that, that's said something about like, Oh, it's a diversity hire. I could see myself like my reaction. I think in the moment would be like, well, this is a really awkward and uncomfortable conversation that I don't want to be a part of and walking away. And like, that's my way of saying like, and that's my, that's, that's the language I'm comfortable with or whatever. And later I might have a conversation with that colleague or whatever the case, you know, it's interesting because one thing I always, always try to maintain at work is as a white middle-class male, like you can fall in. It's, it could be easy to fall into the old boys club, especially like I have interest in sports and all the other stuff that's like, man. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not going to participate in that conversation. And not that I won't say, I mean, I talked to a couple of people about, yeah, I went to Kansas city and I was enjoying the super bowl and I'm a chiefs fan, lifelong chiefs fan, but I don't make that center. I don't make that the centerpiece of my conversations at work. And that's super intentional because I don't want people to think that I'll jump, I'll dive into the old boys club conversation and just sit there in it. And I could, but it doesn't seem valuable or useful to me or even actually in a selfish way, good for my career long term. There's a whole host of things. Though there that are going consequences there. too when you don't. Say when, I mean, oh when, yeah, when, when you, you don't, when you refuse sure. to engage in that if you're invited into it, sure, can can have huge consequences, and that's those are also boundaries that we have to decide to navigate. Totally, know when to fake the smile. <laughs> so, this, so this brings me to and Rob. Rose is a good transition, considering actually it's, it's not just a transition; it's it's what you're talking about. Very similar to you. Uh, love sports uh, can ease from Texas, so it's easy to go there and talk those. It's easy, okay. Now, humor is a big part of, of like boys club stuff. Now, and then water cooler conversations, if you will. That's just sort of right. It doesn't have to be water cooler, right? But we all know what they are, and that's when the jokes go down. And so then we we have everybody from Ricky Gervais to Dave Chappelle to like these comedians who they say things that nobody else can say, and we all laugh. Shit, that was good. And then we all try to say it in the real world and, and sort of falls flat because we're not on the stage with <laughs> the microphone. But uh, when you're in those settings with those kind of guys, you, you can say those things, you know? Now, what happens when um, when someone says, hey, that's like that, that's not appropriate? Like, it, and then you're outed. Like, I mean, how, this is where it gets kind of weird and, and awkward. And um, whether it's like old high school friends 
or it's current boys in the hood, or, you know, could be a guy from Brutheology. It doesn't really matter. You know, cause, cause this is about tribalism. You know what I mean? Like you're supposed to laugh. You're supposed to think it's funny. And, and I believe me, I get caught up in this, not knowing I, I send, I send stuff to people in our family and Laura will be like, right. You realize that was probably offensive. And I'm like, ah, oh, but it was funny as hell. And she's like, yeah, but it was probably offensive. I'm like, and I, I, I shake my head thinking like, she's just, come on, she's just being, but sure, maybe she's right. Kid. Maybe she's right. And I, cause I'm, cause because I was a part of that world growing up, sure. it's never left me. Yeah. And I, and, uh, I, you guys could probably call me out and I, I would be like, what are you talking about? doesn't make sense. We we all play. So this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently that we all play all of us at Brew Theology, all of us in Denver, all of us in society. We all, we all play a, a different role in, in some of these issues, right? And one of the long-term roles I would like to cultivate is being a person who has lived in the old boys club before and can live in that club, you know, live in that world. I have friends in Denver who, right, can live in that world and also be an influence for good in that world. And and not everybody, like Janelle's a woman, you know, you wouldn't have, you don't sit in the same seat that I sit in there. And if I went to one of the women's groups you work with, I shouldn't hold the same seat and don't hold the same seat you do. And so we're, we all sort of play a different role in whatever setting everything's contextual. Right. And so what, I guess what I try and do in that scenario, and then I feel like I don't want to stick to this topic too hard is cultivate a long-term identity of that. I'm going to be the guy who says, well, that's, really awkward thing to say about the diversity hire. Like, well, I'm uncomfortable and awkward now because it's to make it just like a little less, a little less comfortable in the moment. But also that's my language. That's my way of saying, I think you're full of shit. Or, or I might say like, what kind of thing is that? (laughs) Like, what are you even talking about? You know what I mean? And it'll be my way of calling out that's not even really, that's a very accepted call out because I have all the privilege that comes with being able to say, what are you even talking about? And I'm, and I'm not worried that my status will be devalued or my, you know, I'm not worried that I'll be seen as less than, and I'm sort of to the point now too, where I'm like, uh, where if it is, if I'm devalued because of that, like, that's not my, that's not my group. And, but at the same time, like Ryan, have I laughed at some <laughs> stupid joke that comes through my text messages or whatever? Yeah. Sure, I have. So, like, I'm not trying to paint a picture of myself as perfect, but I'm. <laughs> but, 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 but I would like to cultivate long term. I mean, we're kind of. I feel like we're on a, in a rabbit hole that I'm not sure we want to be in. No, nah, it's all it's all good. It's just funny because, like, I, I I look at back years ago of things that you say the pictures that you put on Facebook memories. I love when the memories come up because I wonder who was I five years ago? What was I yeah. saying? I think it's phenomenal. Some are really scared to death of what they wrote five years ago. And I said something a few years ago about when Marcus Aldridge, the San Antonio Spurs, that's my team. He's one of my players. I gave him the hardest time in the first few years with the Spurs because they gave him a lot of money. He was supposed to be like the guy that made us win a title again. And he has it. And he was playing so soft for two, three years. And I probably said this to you, Rob, too. And, and I'm like, man, when's he going to get his jock strap? When's he going to get his... And so like, for me, it's a guy thinking like, 
that's, that's what we say in the locker room. And another dude finally called me out because I looked back and I, I saw that I wrote that. Like, LaMarcus got a jock strap back tonight. Thinking, yeah, whatever. And he did this whole thing about like what that communicates to women. And I was just like, what are you, what are you talking about? I had no idea what he was talking about, but he called me up, you know. Uh, so I, I say all that to say, I think you need guys who can, maybe they're in the sports world, who can say, I don't think you've seen what you're actually saying and how that affects other people outside of like, men in a locker room. Do you get well, we are unfortunately almost out of time, which is so hard to believe because we are we haven't gotten anyone. Like, we didn't go through all the questions yet. So we'll leave that for you to um, get the curriculum and go through it yourselves. So the the final question was, what is one thing you can do to practice kindness this week? And it came up in our table this for the remix. The talk about also self-kindness. Sometimes we're really good at being kind to others. We're really crappy about being kind to ourselves. So I'll give you that option. Either something you can do to be kind this week or something you can do to be kind to yourself this week. Older I get. I'm like, you know, you, it's your typical thing. Well, life is short, right? So let's just, this is not important. Let's move on. I, I just need to, I need to be more intentionally examining my feelings and those around me. Because actually, I, I'm a caring person, I really. Yeah, you are. Yet, I can also unintentionally be a dick by just going like really fast and just go through it. Whether it's my own children, my own wife, or, uh, you know, what I'm currently going through, which. Quite a bit. And I'm, not even, I'm not even realizing this, you know. If you're listening right now, I probably already moved. No. By the time we end this, publish this. No, as, as y'all know, I'm, I'm headed out of Denver, so you know, a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings that I'm, I need to pay, pay attention to. You know, be kind to myself with it. But that means yeah. being kind to everybody else around me and not just moving on. Yeah. Actually, uh, for my kindness it's more so to myself but it could be could be both sides of the coin um my boss has a bad habit of kind of being micromanagey but i know he doesn't really intend to and so i tend to get pretty upset about that so being more aware of that and not letting myself get stressed out over that is is what I'm focusing on and kind of the, the flip side of that is in a way I'm being kind to him too, because I'm actually trying to see where he's coming from a little more. Yeah. For me, um, I think probably intentional action is where I want to continue to like cultivate intentional action. Um, and you know, uh, for me, that's probably in a lot of different venues works one. Um, and I would say like politics is another, I mean, it's inescapable right now. Uh, and how can I moment to moment be sort of the best version of myself possible? Um, and I think part of the reason I'm attracted to it is like, it, it calls me back to the moment too. Like, again, that's something I like about intentional action. 
I get out of the future, which I can't really control, though I would like to think I can. It gets me out of the past, which I certainly can't change, um, and plants me firmly in the in the now. So intentional action is something that, you know, to myself, uh, you know, like being kind to myself, which doesn't always happen. And also, though, like really thinking about how I am in the world with others. I've had to focus on being kind to myself this week because basically my planner is still in January and I don't know what happened to January, but it's over. <laughs> so, it's true. It is. It's a long ass month. <laughs> It was a long year. Um, So I've spent the beginning of this week really just like getting organized, getting everything put together so that then I can meet the obligations I have and get the work done I need to do. But I think it's important, especially coming from, if you're coming from kind of conservative traditions, there's nothing wrong with prioritizing yourself for a little bit. And that is kindness. That is not selfishness. It's not prideful, it's kindness to the world around you and to yourself, and that's fine. And in fact, I would argue that you have to learn to be kind to yourself before you can truly be kind to others, or at least it makes it a lot easier. Have a little grace and mercy. Tell yourself you're okay. (laughs) You're going to survive. You're going to get through this. There's a Saturday night. You can totally cut this out. There's a Saturday night live character that came to mind that I can't That's couldn't right. get out of my head. You're good enough. You're smart enough. And doggone it, people like you. Um, Stuart Smalley, right? Yep. Nineties. Yep. <laughs> those of you who were kids in the nineties, YouTube it. All right. Thank you, Janelle, for the yeah. content and for the last two weeks that we got to participate in this. For those of you online right now. Go ahead and give it a share. Give it a rating on iTunes. And we're on Podbean. Obviously, iTunes, Google Play, the whole works. Uh, Brew underscore theology on Twitter. At Brew Theology on Instagram and Facebook. And there's also a group on Facebook that we got to frequent. We forget about that one. It's like a more interactive group. So go on there. Share your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. You can email Janelle or Ryan our names at brewtheology.org. And that's, that's it. Cheers. 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 Cheers.